Hello, and welcome to the SEL in Action podcast, the podcast where we discuss what social and emotional learning looks like in educational and professional settings. I'm your host, Heather Woods, and today we have a special interviewer and their guest. This is an uh, interview from a class project one of my um, previous students did that I felt really speaks to how social and emotional learning can be implemented and thought about for educators, but also for students. So I want to welcome Matt Clark, a teacher from BC, Canada. And he is interviewing Randy Sykes, who is a school psychologist as well in in British Columbia. Um, So I will turn it over to them. I thought we probably would be important to introduce ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So... We know each other from teaching an LST mm-hmm. back in the day, but now you have left LST, learning yes. support team, yes. right? and yes. you now fill these amazing boots as... <laughs> I am a school counselor um, at Fraser Heights, so I, this is my fourth year uh, as a school counselor, and it has been interesting. Interesting in a pandemic year. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And a blended online year. Yeah, and a switch to e-learning year. Yeah, and then it coming back here. <laughs> right, and four start and stops. Yes, and transitions are really awesome for teenagers. Mm-hmm. They love change. I'm being sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're yeah. going to chat about mindfulness, but I yeah. thought that we should kind of honor where you come from in this conversation Ooh. as well. Uh, that, like, you know, it's a it's a it's a chicken and the egg situation. So yeah. I'm not really completely confident like you kind of introduced me to mindfulness in the classroom in lst but no for you oh, okay what you practice mind like you you practice mindfulness mm-hmm. outside of school but was that something that came before you bringing it into the classroom yes okay yep, yeah absolutely that's a really good question actually and in fact like i've done a lot of thinking about that um about that relationship like chicken egg right so there's lots of folks that will are, are interested in mindfulness but they don't necessarily have a personal connection to it and we'll try to implement it in the classroom and there's the other way around where you have a personal relationship with it first and then you implement it in the classroom and so there's no right or wrong I think if you're if you're t- want to tackle mindfulness it, it it's supposed to be really simple. Mm. It's supposed to be very user friendly. And all mindfulness is, is just paying attention, mm. being being aware. And so you can do that in a variety of ways. You don't necessarily need to have a personal connection to it. I did. Mm. And so my story is, um, I actually used it for myself during a really, really difficult time. We had that, that strike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two teacher families, same, yeah. same. Yeah. Um, you know, things were things were hard and we actually ended up getting a job um, like a part-time job we went back to like when we were in our early 20s although we had a mortgage you know and this warehouse and I found myself I waited tables yes I remember you did (laughs) oh my gosh yes the things that we had to do to adapt to that time of of change and then um, adapt but also I think what I found was I needed a coping skill to deal with the internalized stress Mm. of of that so I just was finding myself I couldn't sleep at night my mind was racing I was waking up with like like sweaty kind of so I could tell I was like you know stressed out mm-hmm. um, and then I I took my kids actually to the International Buddhist Temple just because they have a really cool statue there and I wanted um sorry not statue but yeah. <laughs> um, it's the basically an iconic figure um, made out of gold 
and I wanted to show Elliot and I walked in and there was a big poster that said uh, free mindfulness classes. And I was like, ooh, mm. this is fun. Like I would love to learn more about this. Um, and to be honest, I kind of buy into that kind of culture too, like the new age kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, this is fun. Uh, and it, it was terrifying. My first time there was super structured and I learned from Buddhist monks, the Buddhist way, the traditional, which was uh, a tough learning curve, but wow, like what an amazing practice. Mm -hmm. No one is teaching you. It's all you teaching yourself and listening and absorbing the energy of other people practicing with you. Mm -hmm. It is such a different way of learning and it's all about allowing yourself to slow down, which is super scary. Yeah. And, and being okay with being with yourself, which I found was terrifying. And then that learning was like, oh, I, I, have, I have a choice here now. Mm. What, do I, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to continue to ignore myself and mm -hmm. that fear or am I going to lean into it? Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, I had nothing else to lose. Mm -hmm. And so I leaned into it and um, yeah, and I practiced for four years at that temple and uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Good experience. So how does it then mm -hmm. make its way into yeah. <laughs> the classroom, especially yeah. when you consider that your, your, your background was in um, meditation as as a as a uh, a secular yeah act right and mm -hmm. then when we really bring it into the classroom that's one of the big barriers is you know yes. having these conversations with students and parents and beliefs mm -hmm. that you know when we talk about mindfulness being meditation like you said only as one of the options of being mindful mm -hmm. like there's sometimes there's walls get put up when we hear the kind of religious based foundational language around all of it 100% I think that we've, you know, there's John Kabat-Zinn, who's like the one of the like biggest, I think the, the one of the first um, uh, educators on mindfulness. And he really did a good job, I think, of separating the religious connotations from like, no, there's actual like medical scientific rationale behind this practice. Mm -hmm. and, and this is why. And they did a study in like the 60s where he was like, bring me all of the people you cannot fix and I will practice mindfulness with them. And it was like one of those 60s trials. I was like, really? and then I'll give them LSD. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that was like kind of the first separation and that happened, I'd say like in the, in the 60s was a big push for that. Um, but bringing it into the classroom, especially in our school, we have a large population of Chinese students. And I, the minute you bring up the word like meditation instead of mindfulness, immediately it's like they they either have a connection or they have an aversion mm. so sorry like they either they're like oh that's so interesting like i i totally practice that on my own i want to i want to do that yeah I'm more interested in you know i want to learn more about that and then other kids who are like oh no 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 our family does not practice that we're not buddhist we're we're christian yeah and so teaching kids that no this is not anything to do with religion per se this is this is just a a self-regulation strategy, mm -hmm. calm your emotions or deal with stress. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you obviously, I mean, this maybe goes without being said, but that you would believe that schools is a place to practice mindfulness, mm -hmm. like that there's an appropriate place. I think that if we don't start teaching kids to slow down, mm -hmm. 
and practice one thing at a time, mm. it's going, it's it's already killing them. Mm. Um, and when I say killing, um, I mean that like literally, mm. but but by and large, mostly it's it's just they're not coping with with modern modern living. It's too much. Mm. It's just too much. There's so much going on, and we're not meant to know as much as we know. And technology has really accelerated the like amount of input. And then what do we do with that input? Mm -hmm. And so many kids with the fact like their their brains are not fully formed, their ability to like slow down and process information and say, oh, this is the most important thing. I should focus on this. They just don't have those abilities yet. Um, and so some some actually say that mindfulness with teenagers is not appropriate because of that. Some would argue that. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, I found the opposite, that teenagers need this. And yeah, it's scary. They don't want to do it. When you tell them they have to put away their phones or turn them off or take them, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> the stress level, woof. But over time, it gets easier. Mm -hmm. And so... The reason why, just going back to bringing it into the classroom, the reason why I brought it into the classroom is because I was working with kids that were not coping. And it was a learning support environment where I was being asked to support them with their learning, but I would sit down beside a child that was absolutely vibrating with emotion and asking them to open up their textbook to page 52 and let's look at number three together. Mm. What? Like, no, yeah. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be asking this kid to take some deep breaths. I'm going to be asking them to, you know, visualize um, a place that they feel safe. Mm. You know, I'm going to be doing all these strategies. And I was naturally, because mm -hmm. who, I, who I am and, and my personal practice, I was bringing some of that stuff in. Um, but I, I didn't make yet the connection that I was, oh my gosh, this is mindfulness. Yeah. Until I did my own masters and my own inquiry project around mindfulness and self-regulation in the classroom. And then it was just like, my brain exploded. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the missing piece. It's mindfulness as a tool and that self-regulation, that emotional regulation piece mm -hmm. that precedes any kind of academic performance yep. or yep. any, we can't even get there no. until we have dealt with this, the state that we're in, yes. essentially. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Shankar, who's a prof at UBC, wrote that book, like Calm, Alert, and Learning. And we, if we don't have students in a place, and that zones is a good, good way to explain mm -hmm. that to kids, right? If you're not in the green zone, you're not in the learning zone, mm -hmm. right? And so like the question then is, how do we get there? And if we can't get to green, how do we get a little bit closer, right? And then we slowly, so we're, we're working with people. We're not working with students mm -hmm. when we're doing this. And so it's totally different perspective shift for teachers as well, which is, which facilitates connection and relationship. Mm -hmm. That's huge. I found immediately kids were coming to me. Yeah. Um, not just, not just for their brains, but for their, for their hearts. Like they wanted to connect because I was giving them the time. There's a change in your, in your classroom climate. Because it's slowing it, it down. Yeah, and it yeah. bases everything on relationships first and being ready to learn yep. before the actual learning. Yes. Yeah. And coming out of so we would do meditation Mondays mm -hmm. and we would we would do it in the morning on Mondays. Um, sorry, before each class on Mondays. Yeah. So throughout the whole day. 
And I felt we chose Mondays because the weekends are tough for a lot of these kids and they come from families. There are a lot of pressure, a lot of, they're teenagers and they're gonna have issues at home. And so we wanted to give them that time to process their weekend. And then also we would have a talking circle afterwards. And so we would give them time to process and then they would come to the circle and then we would ask them if they wanted to share anything. And so that would give them an opportunity then to make meaning out of that processing mm -hmm. and do it in an environment where they were together. So they mm -hmm. were not alone. And there was a teacher facilitator. Mm -hmm. So it was so powerful for those kids and they felt really grounded and centered and connected at the beginning of their week. Mm -hmm. it made such a difference. You know, in talking to some of our other colleagues who do some like m mindfulness Mondays or something on Monday to really ground the week mm -hmm. seems to be a very common theme across yes. the school here in these conversations, yeah. but also other pieces that happen throughout the week that all kind of connect back to mindfulness. Because I think through, th throughout most of the literature and the research and everything, mindfulness really focuses on meditation yeah. as the practice but there's all these other things that go with it, like uh, gratitude and positivity and just general well-being. that there's these other activities that staff have talked about that they do like these fist pump Fridays or even like dance Fridays, just yeah. getting up and moving totally. that all build kind of into that mindful piece of just being more aware of your body, more aware of your emotions, more aware of your stress, more able to label all of those things. And I know that in LST, you also had like a, like you had that conversation, but you had a reflective piece right. about the heart, the mind. heart, head, body. Yeah. Right? Heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heart, mind, body. And it was very interesting, like, cause we, we used it as, so the heart, um, heart, mind, body. So it would be where did you, so the body would be kind of um, easy for students to identify. I found that they were, they could tell me like, okay, when you were meditating or when you were sitting still, sometimes I wouldn't even use the word meditation because I could hear, I could see it in their face, puke, puke, puke. They already have an aversion to it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and they would say, oh, my back hurt or, you know, it was weird. Like two minutes into my meditation, I just felt this like wave of calm come over my body. And, um, and then another person, I remember a very common one, another person wrote, um, I could feel my stomach muscles being very tight. And when I was aware of that, I relaxed them mm. and it made a big difference um, to my ability to sit still for longer, right? Mm -hmm. And so like all these little physical awareness, like how, mm -hmm. how that affects your mind and your body and your heart, how it's all connected. And then the mind was like, what thoughts came up? Mm -hmm. Was there a theme? Um, was it mostly about the weekend? Was it around an event that happened? Um, and then the heart is like kind of, how are you feeling during that time? Like during your meditation, sometimes we have, we're having a good day and we're like, I'm the best meditator on the yeah. planet. I'm winning this for sure. And then you come out of it and you're like, I'm saved. Yeah. All my problems are saved. <laughs> Every time's gonna be like that now. And then the next time you go to sit on the carpet, it's like, wow. I'm a mess yeah and I can't focus and and so it's it's interesting for kids to just be aware of how they're feeling that day and we have a way of, of blaming ourselves for mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. um, and, and judging ourselves and so we would have a lot of conversations especially teenagers mm -hmm. well adults anyone judges except for maybe three-year-olds yeah. um, I don't know my three-year-old judges me <laughs> <laughs> but, but will he judge himself <laughs> judge oh. my ability to spread peanut butter oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Oh, yes, endless. But, um, you know, I think it's so help, healthy for them to be like, you know, accept, just mm -hmm. be like, you know, this is happening today. 
and don't blame meditation. Don't blame yourself. Mm. This is just the way, the natural wave and rhythm of life mm -hmm. and really normalizing that. And, and yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Cause I, I, I like that. Cause I think we talk so much about, or the research talks so much about self-awareness and self-management, but self-acceptance as a, as a part of it as well of being like, this is where I'm at. There is no winning meditation. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in the body and I'm in the mindset that I am in and I'm honoring that place. Yeah. I think is really important in moving forward. Yes. Too. You mentioned teachers as facilitators. Now that's a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, in, in the efficacy of implementing mindfulness in classrooms is that it has to be with a trusted adult yes. or the, a teacher or a, a community member that's known. Um, some of the research they have, like people come in that, that know these programs, right? So yes. they're like program trained instructors and it, 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 it's effective in the study, but then in the long term, there's not that relational connection that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. So it kind of seems like in the classroom, it really starts and ends with teachers as facilitators. But then there's like, you know, people are, are, are nervous to step into implementing this or introducing this in the classroom for all the reasons that we've already said. Like yeah. there's blocks when you talk about it, there's that secular, non-secular piece to bridge. There's the, there's the how-to, right? There's yeah. the environmental yeah. piece of like, I don't even know how to set this up in my classroom. My classroom is rows of tables and that doesn't really seem a place that's apropos to sitting down and being mindful or mm -hmm. the announcements come on or the hallway noise is loud. Like how do I even enter this? So yeah. what would your like, <laughs> elevator pitch be to educators that are like mm -hmm. thinking about or tackling bringing mindfulness into the class yeah so my I'm, I am very biased in the sense that like I can't I can't imagine an experience of bringing mindfulness into the classroom without having a personal connection with it first mm. to me that was absolutely critical in how I how I presented to the kids authenticity is 150% critical for teaching mindfulness. If you're like, okay, everybody, put your head down, have a little snooze, click, you know, when you put on some like peaceful music, yeah. that's not mindfulness, that's resting, which is also good, but it's not mindfulness. So um, really understanding what that process is and how incredibly difficult it is, mm. is, is needed. In fact, being a master of meditation or or doing it for longer than a month is not required. Um, but you know, you should give it an honest effort before you bring it into the classroom because I think for kids, having those like really honest conversations about, man, it's frustrating. Mm. Like this is frustrating. Sitting with ourselves is hard. But at the end of the day, if we can't sit with ourselves, then we shouldn't be sitting with other people either. Mm -hmm. We have to be okay with ourselves first. Yeah. Right? It starts it starts at home and then extends out. Yeah. So it's lit like inside out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rather than outside in concept, right? Mm. So that, And you always practice what you preached. And I think that was a big thing yes, too. Like yeah. it wasn't like like you said, just play the app or whatever. Because there's there's no judgment on the fact that maybe you're doing a guided meditation through a program or through yeah, an and app. And I was doing a, a using that program. Yeah. It was helpful. But I would say, like, I would also use my own anecdotes. Like, man, I was at the temple on the weekend and this, you know, was watching these monks and I'm thinking to myself, like, just got back from Guilford Mall and bought myself a new Aritzia top. <laughs> Can't wait to put it on. Like, talking yeah. about how to be, 
how to be mindful in the real world mm. and making that accessible for kids is what is required of a facilitator, mm -hmm. not necessarily like being a monk and doing all like really living it intensely like that. Cause that almost no. deters kids too. Right. Yeah. No, I was thinking yeah. more like, like you are practicing mindfulness alongside the kids. It's not yeah. a, it's not the opportunity for 10 minutes for you to go catch no. up on your email. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, Oh yeah. Like you were sure. doing it, we were doing it. And then in that Have talk to. back, you were like, you know what? Today was a really tough day for me too, because I was, Feeling. For whom the bell tolls. Yeah. Well, maybe you like two minutes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, my time is valuable. Um, so I would say that if you're not practicing with the kids, then why are the kids practicing? Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, you, if you're if you're asking them to step outside of their comfort zone and you're not willing to do that yourself, you can't you can't do that. Yeah. So um, I mean you can, but it's not. They're gonna they're gonna pretend. They're just gonna close their eyes and yeah. you know. So the authenticity is key. Create setting up the environment is key. Very challenging in a school. You're right. Lots of lots of interruptions in schools. Holy cow! But even more of a reason to bring in mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Getting administration on board. Mm -hmm. So and putting a sign outside of your door. We are you know mindfulness is practice being practiced here this morning. Please please be quiet, mm -hmm. I think is a great also um, um, message for students walking the halls that this is what we do here. Like we, we slow things down. It's mm -hmm. okay. Um, school, school is a place where we can be calm mm -hmm. and quiet and close our eyes because it's a really vulnerable mm -hmm. position to be in. Another little trick is getting kids to like turn and face the wall so they're not because their teenagers are so socially aware that they actually cannot focus on their meditation so just removing all barriers if they want to sit in a chair let them sit in a chair if they want to fidget with something let them fidget with something um, it's all about making them comfortable mm -hmm. as much as possible because facing themselves is the biggest fear mm -hmm. so just uh, making that as comfy as you can mm -hmm. to for them to do that hard work Facing themselves is the biggest fear. I like that. Mm -hmm. I think that I feel. I, I mean, I don't. I think that's teenagers and beyond. Anybody sitting with yourself. Who I am think, I? Yeah. Where am I going? What do I have to do in five minutes? What do I have to do tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. What did I do last month? Oh crap! Ten years ago, I did that thing. Yeah. Your brain is like a, it's a monkey mind, and it's always judging you. It's always your internal critic is. It's always there, whether we like it or not. Well, thank you for thank spending you. some time and sitting down. It was my pleasure. I feel like um, it's apropos to say that schools are a busy place since you're literally being paged out of this meeting <laughs> to go to another meeting. Yes. <laughs> so we'll leave it there. Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to the SEL in Action podcast. I want to thank our guest interviewer, Matt Clark, and his colleague, Randy Sykes, uh, for sharing their thoughts and the research that Matt had done, as well as the experiences and research that Randy has done on mindfulness in the classroom. I hope that you learned a lot from this episode, and I hope we have more of these guest uh, presentations as well. Feel free to connect with Matt on social media. His information is in the show notes. As always, feel free to connect with us at SEL in Action on Twitter, Facebook, and the website and Instagram as well. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you have a great day.